these ETFs offer two things that people want right now. People want income that isn't in bonds because people worry right now that bonds have duration risk because the Fed is raising rates. And every time they do it, it directly lowers the value of your bond. So people are a little scared of the bond market right now, but they want income. So here you can get income that yield between three and four percent, some a little more. And you also get the returns because they hold these sectors that were out of favor but are now killing it. On this episode of Early Bird, Eric Balchunas, Senior ETF Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. Eric joins the podcast today to talk about high dividend ETFs, including the advantages and disadvantages for average investors. If you're an investor looking to stay on top of the latest market trends, then you're listening to the right podcast. This is Early Bird, and I'm your host, Stephen Lerner. Before we get to today's discussion, let me tell you how you can save time and beat the market through Early Bird, a free daily email newsletter featuring commentary about the latest trends in stocks, cryptocurrency, and equity crowdfunding. Early Bird is designed to help individual and non-professional investors stay on top of all of the critical investing trends. The newsletter is 100% free and is sent to your email box each weekday morning. Subscribe to Early Bird for free at www.earlybird.email. Once again, that's earlybird.email. And now, today's discussion. All right, Eric. Welcome to the Early Bird Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Uh, good. Uh, you know, I've just been working on some notes. Um, picked my kid up from tennis camp, and uh, we're going to have some trout tonight. So, pretty good day, all things considered. Awesome. I think that sounds like a wonderful plan. Um, but before you do all that today, we're actually going to talk a bit about high dividend ETFs, your take on them, what you see in the market right now. Uh, but before we do that, Eric, uh, tell the audience a little bit about you. If you could give us a brief 30 seconds, uh, your background, your biography, you know, what, what should the audience know about you? Um, so I guess what they should know about me is I'm a little more of a writer than a financial analyst. Uh, but in some ways, that makes me a better, it, it helps in a way. So I was uh, trained as a journalist. Um, I went to Rutgers and got a degree in journalism. And then um, I went to uh, New York City, worked at Institutional Investor, which is a magazine for, for you know, the name said, uh, explains it all. Um, wrote about mutual funds and derivatives there. And I really like business writing. Um, I found uh, economics and the market just really fascinating, uh, constant novelty in my mind. And so I just combined uh, my my interest in that with my writing skills. And I've been doing that ever since. I will say I did take about a 12-year detour there, and I did nothing but data. So I worked in Bloomberg's data office, and I helped um, get new data for mutual funds and ETFs. And that's where I sort of discovered ETFs in like 2006. Mm. Um, I had been given them as a data set and I went to a couple of conferences, read a few books, and I was like, wow, the, 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 these things are going to be a big deal. So I, mm -hmm. at that point, really dedicated my, my whole being to ETFs and became the ETF guy within Bloomberg. And that was a good bet because the wave definitely broke big time. Uh, the industry is growing rapidly. And so they, uh, the Bloomberg started a research arm. And after that, had been up and running for a couple of years. The guy who runs it asked me to come over and start ETF research for them. So I was able to marry my writing skills and my, and my data skills there. 
And that's sort of what I've been doing for the five, five or six years now. Now there's a small team of six people around the world who write nothing but ETF research um, and a little bit of mutual funds, but really anything in the fund world is, is fair game. But we really largely focus on ETFs. Nice. That's where a lot of the action is and the interest and the flows and, um, and whatnot. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is definitely a, a hot area to be in. Um, and it kind of makes for a good transition into this top topic today of high dividend ETFs. Um, before we get into that, Eric, let's just briefly define what an ETF or exchange-traded fund is, um, in case anybody doesn't know. How, I guess, how would you briefly describe what, what sort of what an ETF is? Yeah, the best definition I heard is from Reggie Brown, a market maker, who called them mutual funds with a mutual fund with benefits. Um, <laughs> it's essentially the same structure. So some people refer to ETFs as derivatives. That's not true. It is an actual mutual fund, so it holds. The securities that it hold, it invests in, so which people like that that feeling of oh my fund actually owns this stuff. It's not a promise, you know. It's not something that I have to worry about the counterparty. They literally hold these stocks or bonds in a with a custodian. So it's like a mutual fund. It happens to trade on exchange, and um, there's a couple other details. I won't go into them greatly, but I, I will just say that what ETFs really do is evolve the mutual fund concept. Um, and I think the biggest ways they evolve it are they allow you to trade intraday. Mutual fund, you can only buy and sell at the end of the day. And some people like that because, you know, it, if you're, especially if you're trading or you have a, um, something you want to get out of at noon, if the market moves against you by four or five, you know, whatever the NAV is structured mutual fund, um, that's a bummer. You know, I guess it could be a good thing if it goes up. But largely, people just want to have access when they want it, how they want it and in a cost that they like. And that's another thing about ETFs. They tend to be much cheaper than mutual funds. Um, and so you get like all these extra benefits. And so to me, they evolved the mutual fund concept uh, by three or four evolutionary steps at once. Mm. They also are very good with taxes. You don't get hit with a capital gains distribution unless you sell. Anybody in a mutual fund knows that you can get hit with those tax um, taxes, even if you've done nothing but stay in the fund because somebody else left and they had to, um, cash them out and you get a tax bill. So I think ETFs are fair with the taxes. They're cheap. They trade on exchange and they cover everything. Mm -hmm. So you no longer, a lot of people don't have the time that they may want to be long Brazil, right? They have a new, maybe they have a new leader there. You like Brazil, whatever. And nobody has time to research every stock in Brazil. So you could buy a very liquid Brazil ETF just like that. And you own local shares in Brazil. And then you take that for, you know, hundreds of categories and you have the world at your fingertips. And so, um, and, and you don't have to know everything. You just have to have a macro view on something. So uh, this is why ETFs have just exploded in popularity. Yeah, um, we could go on and on about ETFs and we're, we're probably gonna have other podcasts just on this subject. Um, but high dividend ETFs, what exactly are those? Yeah, so there's two kinds of dividend ETFs out there. One tracks companies that grow their dividend every year. These tend to be like really good American companies like Microsoft, Johnson & Johnson, that they sometimes they call them dividend aristocrats. So when you buy a dividend grower ETF, you get like rock solid companies that, that can grow their dividend every year. Those are great. And those did really well over the last 10 years because they tended to have a nice even mix of sectors. On the other side of the coin, you have these ETFs called high dividend ETFs. All they do is basically screen, say like, 500 stocks like in the S&P or Russell 1000. And they say, which one, 
which of these companies has the highest dividend? <laughs> it's pretty, the name is pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> a lot of them have a couple screens in there, so you don't get any junk or, or like something that yields a lot, but it's just a trash company. Mm. So there are a couple uh, screens to help it stay out of like um, danger zones, but largely that's what it does. And so the issue with these ETFs over the past decade is they tended to get into sectors like energy and utilities, which tend to have high dividends. Well, as you know, in the past 10 years, energy and utilities were bad sectors. Mm. It was all about tech and communications and growth stocks. Well, now that value is back and energy is having a great run, these ETFs offer two things that people want right now. People want income that isn't in bonds because people worry right now that bonds have duration risk because the Fed is raising rates. And every time they do it, it directly lowers the value of your bond. So people are a little scared of the bond market right now, but they want income. So here you can get income. They yield between three and four percent, some a little more. And you also get the returns because they hold these sectors that were out of favor, but are now killing it. And so the stars have aligned, so to speak. And when that happens in any category, you see a lot of flows. So they have taken in 25 billion in this year, which is already their biggest year ever. And we're only halfway through the year. So that is what high dividend ETFs are in a nutshell. Well, it's good that they'd certainly screen, keep a lot of the bad companies out, but you know, yield is still important when you're talking about dividends. Um, so you're pretty bullish on high dividend ETFs this year, right? I read that you came out with a paper not too long ago, high dividend ETFs, why you think this might be the best year ever for these assets, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I think we have 25 billion. I think they could hit 50 billion for the year, which again, their biggest year ever was 20 billion. So 50 would be more than double their biggest year. I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I really think a lot of high dividend ETFs are a benefactor of the Federal, the Federal Reserve's complete 180 degree shift on their policy. They used to be all about lowering rates, providing liquidity, yada, yada. Um, and that was great for growth stocks and tech stocks and companies that didn't make a lot of money. Well, now that they're, they're hell bent on fighting inflation and raising interest rates to do that, uh, that has created an environment for these funds. And I feel as though the Fed and creating this environment, there's a long runway. I think inflation is going to continue to be a, a political issue. Voters hate inflation. So as long as inflation is above 2%, right now I think it's 8 or 9, um, you're going to have an antagonistic Fed, uh, antagonistic towards growth stocks, raising rates, uh, a tough road for that trade. But it is good for other trades, and energy is one of them, um, and value stocks are another one. So I think that is, is why I'm very bullish. I think the, the runway looks long, and I also think the need for income is so evergreen and universal, especially amongst maybe some older investors who uh, depend on income, like income. Income is a very popular attribute of any funds for, for, for decades. It's just a very popular thing. And so you combine income with uh, a good uh, with a portfolio where the stocks are in favor, uh, you, you have a real hit on your hands. And so the whole category is doing well, like met it, and it's just one or two ETFs seeing inflows, like all of them are getting not all, but like, you know, 90% of the category, the funds are seeing inflows. Um, we, we would we would sometimes call this a feeding frenzy. Every year, there's usually one or two categories where, you know, the little smaller, a little out of the way, but the stars just happen to to align for them and, and you see a feeding frenzy. And so that's that's sort of where we're at. 
Now, let's say the Fed sees a recession or there is recessionary data and the Fed completely backtracks. That's a risk here because that would obviously be good for the that old trade of growth stocks and tech and, and probably bad for energy and utilities, which are, are in these ETFs. So you need to know that going in. Good thing to keep in mind. When we return, we'll hear from Eric about how average investors should look at high dividend ETFs and some important advice. But first, let me tell you where you can become a more informed investor through Early Bird, a free daily email newsletter. Early Bird has commentary on the latest events and trends in stocks, cryptocurrency, and crowdfunding. With Early Bird's daily weekday email, investors can quickly stay on top of the trends and beat the market. Subscribe to Early Bird for free at www.earlybird.email. Once again, that's earlybird.email. And now, back to today's discussion. So, uh, Eric, today we're talking about high-dividend ETFs, um, and you've made the case for why these could be important um, assets this year. Um, you mentioned, you know, some of the um, inflows, $25 billion already in the year. Um, as you know, it's, it hasn't been a kind market so far for investors in 2022. In your recent research, you cited as one of the reasons that you are bullish on high-dividend ETFs in 2022 is the fact that so far they seem to be beating the larger market, or at least the larger S&P 500 index so far. Um, is this really given, you know, how how rough the market has been this year? Is, is this really an area that a lot of retail investors should start looking at more? Um, yeah, I, I think it's, look, the good news is ETFs are all about, you know, solutions, and they work hard to provide all these different uh, tools. So if you're, if you are looking for income, and you are okay accepting the risk of owning, you know, a good chunk of energy and utilities. There's also a decent um, plethora of financial stocks in these. Financial stocks have decent yield. Mm. Um, and there's going to be a very uh, uh, underweight to tech. Um, most of them have like 5 to 10% tech. Well, as you know, the S&P is like 23% tech. So th- this is sort of what you're getting. Um, but I, I do think there's something there. And if you look at the performance... These things aren't crushing it on a on an absolute basis. They're all like flat, right? A couple are up 2%, 3%, couple are down 2%. But relative to the S&P, which I think last I looked is down, what, almost uh, 18% or something? Mm-hmm. Um, the, these are, that's really good. Right? I mean, <laughs> that's beating the market by 18 percentage points. 19, sorry. It's um, So think about that. If, if the S&P was flat and these were up 19 it would probably be even more attention to them. I think, though, investors are onto the fact that if you're flat this year, you're really crushing it because the market's down 19%. So that, that's what's going on here. And anytime you can create that big of a gap between yourself and the S&P, but, you know, you will see flows. So uh, flat is the new uh, winning this year, basically. <laughs> exactly. Flat is the new crushing it. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned about how some of these uh, high-dividend ETFs are a bit heavy in the energy sector, and we know that's been probably one of the leading sectors this year. But I wanted to play devil's advocate. You mentioned that some of these high-dividend ETFs might be heavy in financials or banking stocks, for example. Those stocks have not performed well. Is, is that a risk that investors may have to take if they invest in these types of ETFs? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. So, like, if we look at the top four uh, high-dividend ETFs, that's the Vanguard one, the Schwab one, the iShares one, and the Spider one, and we look at the energy, here's the allocation, 9%, 5%, 8%, 3%. So uh, this probably would be a good place to do a little research uh, because you can actually, you know, kind of find one that fits your custom feeling. Let's say you want the energy kick, but you don't want you don't want to put all your marbles into that because one of them has twenty percent energy. That's a lot because mm-hmm. the S and P is only three percent, right? So you can kind of get the, it, the you can kind there's there so many of them that you can find what's good for you. I would argue that the financial and there's you know healthcare the financial um, aspect uh, it could be good and also other sectors in there because it does diversify a little. Mm. Maybe I overplayed the fact that they're full of energy and utilities. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying they're overweight, those two sectors relative to the S&P, which is why they are performing better. Mm. But there are other sectors. So like if the Fed were to do its thing and, and go and reverse again and start to uh, say, we're not going to raise rates anymore and the market gets all happy and growth stocks go crazy again and the tech sector does well, you're not going to die in these. I mean, uh, of those four ETFs, the exposure to tech is 9%, 19%, 5%, and 3%. So all of them do have some tech that would obviously balance out your negative energy. So these are all highly diversified. They're just overweight and underweight in certain areas. And this year, they're just overweight all the right areas, if you know what I mean. But they're not completely all in on those areas. Um, but it's that overweight and underweight that is important for investors to sort of go in understanding that. I mean, this is why the dividend growers um, were a little more popular in the past decade is because they they were, if anything, even a little more overweight tech and communications, um, and, and they didn't have as much energy. So I think that's just something people have to, you know, weigh. But I would say I would recommend just looking at the percent energy, percent financials. I mean, it's all in the fact sheets. Uh, you can go to any site. Um, all the issuers have... Uh, this stuff on their on their websites yeah. and you know figure out okay I can live with that that amount of energy and uh, utilities yada yada I can I can live with that so I would definitely look at that you always want to open the hood look at the stocks in it and then look at the allocations and make sure you're comfortable with that it's just the same as looking at the back of a box of cereal or a bottle of beer and like you know okay I'm fine with what I'm putting in my body mm-hmm. uh, you know so it's 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 pretty. I think it's just something that uh, you know investors should do at, on any ETF category, frankly, mm. but especially here. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, you know, I'm glad to hear that they're not heavily allocated to energy. Which brings up another point. I know that a lot of investors have seen the incredible growth of energy in the first half of 2022. Is there some concern, or should retail investors be a little? concerned that maybe the energy trade has already passed and maybe, you know, the, the rest of the year, energy may no longer have the same growth as it experienced during the first half? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's something that we, we actually saw the energy ETF XLE um, see outflows for the first time. Obviously, the performance has been bad for the past couple of weeks. But let me just go back, like, I'll go back 10 years. Mm-hmm. Let's compare energy and tech, right, just to see where we are in the scheme of things, XLE is up 86% over the past 10 years. XLK, which is the tech ETF, is up 466%. So you could argue energy is 
still severely beaten down mm-hmm. in, if you widen your, your lens enough. And what's interesting about energy is it, it was supposed to not happen. Remember, it was almost like energy is dead. Clean energy is going to take over. Oil is dead. Um, but I don't know. I haven't seen anybody really give up their use of oil. I think it's one of those things that is popular now in this market because there's good cash flow. Uh, these these are uh, fundamentally sound companies, and clearly the need for oil is not going away anytime soon. So all that's really helped it. But it was so beaten down and so maybe emotionally damaged uh, because of that thought that it could go more. But you're right, it could go back. Um, like I said, I'm a person who readily admits I don't know the future. <laughs> I don't think anybody does, frankly. And so I I always just you know. Uh, basically um, offer that caveat that we don't know. Um, but I think you sometimes need to take a wide view. Um, I think energy it ha- you know, has a bad month, uh, but tech had a bad month during its long bull run. And if you look at the decade of the 2000s, um, energy was the best sector. Um, and the S&P was flat and small caps crushed large caps. Like things change sometimes for a decade, not just a year. Um, so I wouldn't count out energy's run over at all. Although I preface that with, I honestly don't know the future. So I, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to, yeah. I just want to throw all that out there. Um, but you're, you have a good point. If we go over the past year, energy looks a little exhausted. It's up 74% versus tech is up 2%. Mm. But again, it was so down and beaten up that 74% from where it was, isn't that much. It's a small amount. I see what you're saying. So, you know, if you're, guess real quick, if you're a retail investor, you're, you're interested in high dividend ETFs, um, what, what should you do? Should you start researching them? Should you, as you said, look under the hood, make sure that it's the right ETF for you? How, is it, what, how would you recommend retail investors do that type of research? Yeah, look, I mean, I'll throw out the tickers of the, of the biggest ones. HDV, SPYD, SCHD, VYM. Those are four good ones. They all do largely the same thing. They start with a universe of like a thousand stocks and they look for the the ones that have the highest dividend with some screens for trash. And the one thing you should look at is what does it hold? What are the sector breakdowns? They weight them differently too. Like HDV weights them by their dividend. Um, So you're going to have a higher yield potentially there. Um, Whereas the spider one, SPYD, weights them equally. And some people like that. So I would look at the stocks they hold, whether the weighting is equal or prefers dividends. Or in the case of Vanguard, it weights it by market cap. So once they get those, they weight it by market cap. When you do that, you tend to dilute that yield a little. So that one only yields 3%. Um, but they're, And the good news here, they're all relatively doing similar things. And they're all very pretty inexpensive. You know, the, the four I just mentioned are all 10 basis points. And that's a beautiful thing. This is get back to the mutual fund versus ETF. Mm. To get this kind of exposure and this yield, and it used to cost you 80, 90 basis points. And then you were also having uh, an active manager do it. These are all passively managed. They track what they track. They stick to the rules. Um, but there are differences, and you should definitely get comfortable. But if I, were to, if I were to say one thing, it's just look at what it holds. I mean, I wrote a book on ETFs, and when I go over the due diligence, the first the first thing is exposure. Yeah. Uh, you have to know what's in it. Um, and then cost, uh, liquidity, and other things come into play. But 
the exposure is is rules, mm-hmm. uh, especially for a category where you're where you're kind of making some active bets. I would say a category like S and P 500 ETFs, since they all three do the same thing. Well, maybe you go with the one that's cheapest or the brand you like the best. But in the categories, which is almost every other category besides a couple, the ETFs do different things. They have similar names. They have different ways to get there. And their returns will deviate more than the fee. So you need to make sure you you understand what it holds and and the process. So uh, again, I would check out the fact sheets on the issuers pages or go to a place like ETF.com. If you go to ETF.com backslash and the ticker has a nice like the GATS review um, of the ETF and some stats there that you can use or look at. It's free. Great advice. Eric, thank you so much for coming on the Early Bird podcast today, talking about high dividend ETFs, what they mean here in 2022. Really appreciate it. Uh, Before we wrap up the podcast, I just have one final question, and it's the big question for today's discussion. That question is, uh, Eric, if you could invent a holiday, what would it be and what would you call it? Oh, easy. The day after the Super Bowl. <laughs> um, I, and I'd call, I'd call it Super Bowl Monday. That's a pretty good idea. I think a lot of people would agree with that one. <laughs> nope. I mean, plus it's in like early February, but it's miserable. I mean, yeah. uh, the Super Bowl starts at 6, but there's so many commercials, it doesn't end up 10.30. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, everybody's watching it. Let's all have a nice, we could, all of America can have the same communal experience, and then we can all be off the next day. It would be, it'd be a wonderful holiday, a light holiday, but I think we need it. Thank you again to Eric Belchunas for sharing your insights on high dividend ETFs. And thank you to everyone for listening to today's discussion. We'll be back next week for another episode of Early Bird. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.